Welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. I hope that all of you are having a pleasant Thanksgiving weekend. I don't know what made me do this, but I used the early part of the week to have a tooth pulled in preparation for an implant and to resigned myself to a booster shot against COVID. Fortunately, the pain in the case of both has been less than one might anticipate in the case of the tooth with the help of super ibuprofen. For the last 20 or more years, I have been a guest at an old friend's home for Thanksgiving, but this year I was on my own while he traveled back to the turf of our respective youths, New York. As I am not a cook, I decided to turn to Gelson's for my meal as I saw many others did, enough for two, so a friend from my parish joined me. It's been a while since I prepared my home for an official holiday event, and it gave me the opportunity to clean areas, including this very dining room, which is my studio, and has been for over a year, with a fervor it has not seen in a while, and to remove the microphones and mixer and computer, at least for a day. Anyway, to today's subject, I was listening to the radio the other day. I'm a big radio listener, the traditional type, and via Alexa. Not sure what channel, but probably relevant radio, as this sort of phrase or admonition, if you will, would not be coming from the secular media. The phrase, you can't be a saint unless you evangelize. I can tell you I had an immediate reaction, though I wasn't sure exactly what it was. Disappointment? Fear? I suspect it was a little what the young rich man felt when he asked Jesus what he needed to do to have eternal life. Remember that Jesus said he must give away all that he has and follow him. And the young man, who otherwise fulfilled the precepts of the law, went away disappointed or sad. Maybe sadness was what it was. My second reaction, or thought, was, well, then I can't be a saint, because I don't evangelize. And here was the third thought. The way I have understood evangelization in sort of an habitual way was that it means I have to get into people's faces and virtually tell them that if they don't become Catholics, they are literally doomed. Maybe that rankles because when I was a kid, as those who listen to this program know, Neither of my parents were practicing Catholics. My father was Catholic-adjacent, nominally, Greek Orthodox, but except for one funeral, I never remember him in an Orthodox church. And my mother, whom I will always respect for deciding I should have had the foundation of Catholicism, virtually never in my memory attended Mass or prayed, at least where I could hear it, or mentioned faith in any way at home. Well, you know what I heard at school, that such folk were going to hell. Anyone who was not a practicing Catholic was going to hell. It was that blunt. There was no equivocation about it. But at ages five and thereafter, I was in no position to stand on one of our bar stools in our one-bedroom apartment and evangelize my parents in that way, certainly. And frankly, though I worried, it never seemed appropriate for the child to tell the parents what to do, and I can assure you that my mother would not have put up with that even in the slightest. I mean, when I was even in my 50s, my father was still calling me, quote, child. 
The nuns at my Bronx Catholic school didn't know about my mother's fallen away faith, but some of them did know about my father not being Catholic at all. And I have to say that the one or two who did were kind, and one did a rather sweet approach, knowing that my father was a reader, educated, a seeker, by sending home with me every Catholic newspaper on the East Coast she could find. Did he read them? I don't remember. By the time I was 18, I had lapsed from the faith. Did I worry about my own soul? Well, by then, the changes to the pre-Vatican II Church had basically obliterated anything I had been told or learned before, and though it was not the case, like many others, I simply assumed that new truths and easier truths had supplanted the bluntness of the old. When my mother died of cancer two years later, my father saw to a Catholic service at a church none of us attended nearby. I had a couple of times that I did attend before my lapse, but found the liturgy turgid and the homilies meaningless, and I was amazingly, after many years of Catholic school, still really ignorant of the centrality of the Eucharist. So I was, at best, lethargic. But you know, to this day, I don't know if she received last rites. I know she could not have done a confession, as she was in a coma the last ten days of her life. I would guess that my father didn't think of it, but I could hope that there was a Catholic chaplain somewhere around who made it to her. I guess that's the other thing about this week, this weekend. I'm thinking a lot about this stuff because my mother died 47 years ago on November 25th. There's no sting about that any longer, just a low emotional reverberation about her and those days. But she has been gone more than two-thirds of my life, and since I was youngish when she died, I was 20, I can't remember a single conversation of anything more than the ordinary things of daily life and her expectations of me as her only daughter. Anyway... I'm pretty sure I did not evangelize my parents as a child and teenager. Then after that, I was an amorphous individual, religiously speaking, for the next 13 years. It's only after I came back, and then many years into my reversion, that any of these things became of any interest or import to me. And now, in the latter third of my life, they don't have urgency exactly, but they move toward me like a glacier that's suddenly picking up speed. But still, I remember when one of my elder friends at my California parish, Veronica, wanted me to join the Legion of Mary, characteristic of my lack of Catholic background for a person who went to Catholic school, was that though I had heard of the Legion, I had no idea what they actually were about or what they did. I had no idea that the members, well, some of them actually, do what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. They go door to door in an effort to talk to people about the faith. They do all the other things a lay Catholic apostolate does, visiting the sick, bringing communion, praying under the mantle of Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception. But they also visit homes often in an effort not only to talk to people about Catholicism who are not Catholic, 
but to address those many who are Catholic or were Catholic and did not, as I did not, stay Catholic after all the years of religious education, which apparently did not stick. Here's a snippet about the work of visitation with Mary, the Mediatrix of all graces, being the impetus. It comes from a site of the Legion, Concilium Leoginus Mariae. The importance of the home is so obvious and yet so neglected. The overwhelming number of those who have given up the practice of faith have passed through Catholic schools and have been given some kind of religious education. But they have come from prayerless homes. I will quote just one paragraph from our founder on his view of the matter. I believe that was Louis de Montfort. So, I voiced two ideas. First, religion taught in a cold, official way has no higher place in the children's minds than any other school subject. Second, even religion admirably taught in the school has too much to contend with in the world to be able to stand unaided. Here is the tale of a heroic experiment. In France, during the last century, faith was pinned on the schools as the means of bringing back the nation to the church. Prodigious effort and sacrifice were thrown into the building and running of Catholic schools. Calculations showed that by pouring out each year so many children who would marry and multiply, the Catholicizing of the country would inevitably be accomplished. It did not work out thus. Great good was done, but the total theory was found to be a delusion. The children lived in their godless homes, and it was the homes that decided the issue. And so... I talk to you about the home, the fortress of society, and the privilege you have of being able to enter it. But the article goes on. Let me go back to the Feast of the Visitation because it gives us an example of how Mary herself made a home visitation. And after all, we legionnaires do our visitation in the spirit of Mary and with her. First, she simply goes to be of help in whatever way is possible. Then she brings Jesus into the home of Zachary and Elizabeth. This is the greatest blessing of all to the home. Isn't this what every legionary wants ultimately to do as well, namely, bring our Lord to homes together with Mary? It is while meditating on the visitation that John Paul II refers to Mary as the first evangelizer. No sooner had she received God into her womb and heart at the Annunciation then she begins the work of bringing him to others. The visitation of the legionary is not simply a social visit, although its immediate object is to establish friendship and trust. Ultimately, the legionary must bring Jesus into the home. He must talk religion at some t stage. He is in the business of saving souls. I think the way it occurs to me is listening to this or reading this is that what is a watchword is the charity, the love that wants to bring Jesus to them, to the rest of us. I would say that I was one of the exact people for whom such a visitation before my mother died might have been apropos. Now, just like people don't open their doors to the Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm guessing my parents would not necessarily have opened the doors to the Legion of Mary nor probably would I have done so in my lapsed state for the entirety of the years afterwards. Was ours a godless home? Yes, insofar as God or discussion about God or prayer in the home ever came up. It just didn't. Even today, 
back though I am in the faith, I feel terrible discomfort, for example, in saying grace before meals, privately or publicly, that comes from somewhere. On the other hand, grace was always there. Grace caused my mother to insist I be baptized Catholic and raised in a Catholic education system, and grace caused my father to allow it without resistance, though when I struggled with various forms of obsessiveness, he used to bray that it had been a mistake. And it was because of that training, imperfect though it might have been, and interrupted by the madness which followed Vatican II, a madness not of the council itself, but of interpretations that were blanketed on the public at large and on Catholics not well formed in their faith, including me, that there was a tether between me and my faith. So, long story short, maybe, when my church friend Veronica tried to get me to become a member of the Legion, and I read about everything, and I found out that door-to-door -door was a part of it, I told her that it wasn't something I felt I could do. I also don't do well in gatherings outside of church where praying goes on. And still, even now, I do it more these days and have even taken to doing the rosary with others and privately, something I never did at home as a child. But it remains a habit that I need to develop until it becomes an essential part of me. So, if I have to get out there and stand in front of people explaining to people who have not asked me to do so what it is to be Catholic and tell them that Catholicism is the way to salvation, I guess I'd be afraid that I'd never be a saint. Sadness, disappointed. My friend who invited me uh, at our church to the Legion of Mary is 98 and currently in the throes of end-stage dementia. And when I look at her, I am sure first that unlike most, she will probably bypass purgatory and go straight to heaven. And that while she may never be declared one, she will be a saint. Oh, don't get me wrong. Like everybody else, she wasn't perfect. No human being is. But if anyone evangelized passably and assertively for the Lord in the fullest of ways, she's that one. Ordinary old Catholic me? Not so much. On the other hand, as I always do, I go to the derivation of words when I do these programs, and I went to the derivation of the word evangelize. Now, plain old Merriam-Webster gives two meanings. The first, to preach the gospel, and the second, to convert to Christianity. Etymology online has this with regard to evangelist as a noun. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John from Old French evangelist and directly from late Latin evangelista from Greek, I'm going to mess this up, evangelistis, preacher of the gospel, literally bringer of good news from Jung Lizdastai, bringing good news from you, good, C-U-E-U, plus Angelane, announced from Angelos, messenger, see angel. In early Greek texts, the word was used of the four traditional authors of the narrative gospels, meaning itinerant preacher. And that was another early church usage received in Middle English in the late 14th century. The Greek, the classical Greek, Euangelion meant the reward of good tidings, and the noun 
evangelization in the 1650s, action of preaching the gospel from 1827 as an act of bringing under the influence of the gospel. The way I'm getting it is that the action part is the bringing of the good news, the presentation of the good news, talking about the good news in some way, the action in one way or another of doing that, not the conversion. It makes it sound otherwise like, I better convert everybody, otherwise I've failed. But that's not what I understand now. Not to say I'm right or wrong, I'm just telling you what I'm getting out of all of this, and maybe you will or you won't, or maybe you'll agree or you'll disagree. Among the items I perused and ran across was an article by a father, Callistus Isara, related to Catholics and evangelization. I'd never heard of the order, which was listed as capital MSP, so I looked it up, and the order is the Missionaries of St. Paul, and they're in Nigeria. They were founded in uh, 1977 and were responding to the call of Pope Paul VI, which he made, I guess, in Uganda in 1969, that the time had come for the churches of Africa to share in the missionary work of the Universal Church. Well, boy, that has turned out to be prescient because the Western civilizations are letting it all go, and it looks like the African church may well be the salvation of the church universal. Anyway, Father Isara also helped me grasp the idea of evangelization in a way that suggested, as I just said, maybe you and I, who do not want to stand on street corners or yell, repent, the earth is coming to an end, or don't bring up religion at every social event, can do, and maybe indeed be saints. You can find this, I think it must have been a speech he made on Google, it's called Catholics and Evangelization, but I want to mention a few things that he says that we've probably heard, I'm sure I've heard all of this at Mass, at homilies, but somehow kind of get fearful of it, or because we live in a society that we do where you don't want to be offending anyone, you just don't do anything. You just sit there like a lump on a log, which sort of defeats the purpose of being a Catholic if you believe it's the true faith. He says, Paul, the great missionary to the Gentiles, understood very profoundly this great commission, for it is a great commission for us to preach the gospel, when he said, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Here, St. Paul, if I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. It's incumbent on all Christians to grasp the gravity of this mandate. And then as Father goes on, Catholics are especially lukewarm in doing it. And the other thing he says is that this, this evangelization, is a step before catechesis. We do say that Catholics are not well catechized, but in some ways they really haven't accepted the reality of the good news any more than their non-Catholic brothers and sisters. As Father says, as we've heard before, we Catholics are called to be witnesses. And this is a quote from him. Who then is a witness? A witness is someone who testifies on behalf of another person, one who stands for another person. It also means to be present to an event and to be able to give an account of it. The Christian vocation requires a personal relationship with Christ and the willingness to witness to him daily to the point of shedding one's blood for him. 
Even if one does not shed one's blood in martyrdom, one must be ready to endure the bloodless or white martyrdom that comes our way every day. The apostles were the first witnesses to Christ, and ultimately they gave their lives for Christ. That's part of it for many of us Catholics, and that is that we do live in a society now where white martyrdom is very much the norm. Let's be frank. If I don't do the sign of the cross at a restaurant, it's because I'm afraid of that white martyrdom, which is very small. Only probably somebody staring at me and maybe whispering to one another, who is that crazy person? But there's a form of evangelization that doesn't really cost as much as I'm fearful of. And perhaps the ways that you or I can do it is appropriate to our states in life and our personalities. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to stretch ourselves from time to time, but you got to start somewhere. Start small, or as Therese of the Little Flower said, the little way. Every small thing you do, you do with love and with the idea that you are promoting the love of God to the world. Going back to the Webster definition, I can, in my way, by words and action, preach the gospel bring the good news. That's my mission. And if every one of us Catholics did that little thing every day, we would swarm. It would be like a flood of evangelization. Little drops of evangelization that become a new river, if you will, that washes over everyone. Meeting people where they are does not require me to make the faith less than it is. And in order for me to stay a Catholic, I have to essentially continue to be putting myself in a place where I am getting the preaching, I am getting the good news, because so much of what it is to be Catholic is not easy, and particularly in our society. I have to be converted every day by the grace of God. I may never know what moment of my presenting myself as a Catholic might be part of a conversion of another, or a conversion about some small issue or a large one, I do have an example from my own life. Back in the early 90s, our parish used to have a couple of lay people speak to the issue of abortion during one Sunday in Respect Life Month. I still have in my personal papers the short presentation I made that I wrote entirely that my pastor at the time approved. These were early days when Catholics would walk out if any priest or lay person spoke about the grave problem of abortion. I don't think anyone walked out when I and a fellow parishioner did our respective addresses as lay people on the issue, but I didn't think it had any particular impact either, and I really didn't think much about it for years after that, if at all. Long time later, a fellow parishioner who became a friend said that it was because of what I had said that day that he changed his view on abortion and had become pro-life. You could have pushed me over with a feather at that revelation. And then there's my own father. I probably have told this before, but right before he had his bypass surgery in the late 80s, I noticed that on the sheet of the hospital that asks what religion he was, he wrote none. I had come back to the church by then, and this upset me. So I went to speak to my then pastor, who advised me, surprisingly, merely to pray and to leave him alone. I did. By this time, he and I my dad and I did discuss religion as we had not when I was a child before my mother died. 
He wanted certainty about whether Catholicism was the right faith for him, which certainty, as we know, cannot be vouchsafed in this life. One either starts with faith and reasons as far as human imperfection allows, or starts with reason, and when that takes us as far as human imperfection allows, faith must take over. Dad just wasn't having it. He occasionally came to Mass to see me lecture. Really, that was the only reason he came, which I had done for years, and only as I said occasionally. And then he got to know my pastor after his bypass surgery and joined us for holidays and dinners. And then one day in 2002, he announced that he was thinking of becoming a Catholic. Now, I knew Dad pretty well, and I know he didn't have a flash of pure faith. He was a practical man. And really, it was about worrying about me, about my handling of his death when it came, the, the emotional part, but also the religious part and plans to be made at that time. What was said between him and my pastor who instructed him, I'll never know. What he really believed, I will never know. But he became Catholic Easter 2003, and he became an usher every single week, every single Sunday with me. And he still debated that there were things that he found unsatisfying in the answers he had been given. I couldn't openly evangelize my father without a battle. We were much the same in our personalities. And so before he decided he was going to do it, debate was high-strung and unsuccessful. But had I not come back to the faith many years before, and had he not been among me and the other Catholics all those years, hearing us, watching us, it just wouldn't have happened, at least as far as I can tell. Quietly, we were preaching, we were evangelizing, we didn't even realize it. Mozart, Bach, they evangelized. They evangelize today when you hear their masses. Handel evangelizes every Christmas with the Messiah. Have you ever read The Imitation of Christ? Thomas Akempis, a monk from long ago, if he ever actually existed, evangelized then and now. It's a favorite secondary source about Christian life for many, many people and has never so far as I know been out of print. Go to a museum. How many paintings of how many Catholics are on their walls? There are quite a few actors in Hollywood, many of them Catholic, who stand against the prevailing tide of modernism and human narcissism. They are preaching the gospel. They are evangelizing. It's our responsibility as Catholics to spread the news. As I said earlier, conversion seems to be ultimately the responsibility of the individual who hears the news of salvation. So, I guess maybe then I have a chance to be a saint because in my own way, I do evangelize. <laughs> and I am relieved. If you come into my home, you know I'm Catholic. I don't hit you over the head with it. I'm not comfortable with a religious statue in every corner of a home. Still, that part of me is active. But you see things around that say, oh, she's a Catholic. And even in this building that I live in, where I think pretty much no one is of a specific practicing religion these days, it's known that I'm Catholic and that I go to Mass every Sunday. And perhaps I'm a little mistaken about this, but I'm not sure. There's almost a little reverence in their saying it when they say, oh, I know you're on the way to Mass just because I'm Catholic. I'm no more guaranteed heaven than anyone else. I actually can fall harder because I was placed for God's own reasons into the true faith from the beginning. It seems it might be 
easier to forgive the person who did not become a Catholic than one who had it in her hands and threw it away. So I need daily conversion in order to stay, or I need to make the act of will to conversion every single day. And that's one of the reasons that I do stay within the parameters of my parish, of my church. And one of the reasons I even do this podcast is that I hear the good news all the time because I'm so weak. It takes nothing for me to give up. And this program, this very podcast is arguably evangelization. Imperfect in the extreme because I probably make lots of mistakes in some of the things I say. It talks of a struggle, but it is in the context of belief, in the fullness of the Catholic faith. I'm throwing things out there for Catholics and non-Catholics to take a look at. The Bible, of course, the Didache, the Church Fathers, the Councils, the Catechisms, the biographies of famous and not-so-famous Catholics, the debates going on within and without the Church. I'm sharing with you the belief that in the Catholic faith, as preached and developed from and after A.D. 33, the resurrection of our Lord is the way through that narrow gate. One of my favorite movies ever from the book by A.J. Cronin is Keys of the Kingdom. Some would say it's dated, but I think it still resonates. It's about a priest who is sent to China as a missionary. He forces nothing. He simply is good. He's even criticized by the bishop of his, of his church because he's not getting many conversions to Christianity. He preaches the truth, but he does not seek belief from them that's false, or what he calls rice Christians, people who are getting things, and because they are polite, they're going to accept Christianity. I think in much the same way that Newman said to his friends that they should not come over to Catholicism in solidarity with him, but they should only do it if they had the ability to truly assent to the faith. In the Keys of the Kingdom, the longtime friend of the priest is an atheistic doctor who brings medical aid to him during a time of unrest. The doctor is fatally injured and he's dying. The young priest stands at his bedside along with a nun who strongly disapproves of the priest for reasons that have more to do with her struggles with faith contrasted against the solid belief of the priest. I couldn't remember the phrases that had affected me so in the movie, so I went in search of them, of course. You can find pretty much everything on the internet. And at scripts.com, the uh, whole script is available to read, and I highly recommend it, but I also highly recommend you read the book and or see the movie. So this is the exchange that you hear between the priest and the dying man. The priest, Father Francis Chisholm, is praying at his friend's bedside. The dying man is Willie Tullock, Dr. Willie Tullock. So Willie says, as he sees the priest praying, wakes to see him praying, he says, Francie, if you're praying for yourself, go right ahead. If it's for me, you're wasting your time. I am the Almighty's too. Father Chisholm says, now let him be the judge of that, Willie. Willie says, my respiration is down, my fever is up, and I am deep in the valley of the shadow. And Francie, I still can't believe in God. At that, a nun, the nun who is with him, is shocked. She's horrified. Willie goes on, are you mad at me? Father Chisholm says, of course not. Willie says, are you disappointed that I won't let you save me? 
Father Chisholm says, your salvation will be your doing, Willie. And then he adds, and mine. Rather tongue-in-cheek for a dying man, Willie says, say, when you get to your kingdom, don't look for my name in the register. Father Chisholm says, it would be fun just to meet by chance. Willie says, Francie, I never loved you as much as I do now because you haven't tried to bully me into heaven. You see, I have such an awful headache. And Francie takes his hand. Out of the depths I have cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Because with the Lord there is mercy, with him there is plentiful redemption. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. You don't see this kind of direct reference to religion, to Catholicism in any Hollywood movies anymore. And maybe you'd say, if you're a very traditional Catholic, that, well, that's very watered-down script writing along the lines of, dare we hope that no one is in hell. Well, I have to tell you, and this is entirely a personal opinion, I don't think so. The priest never wavers. He preaches the true faith throughout. He recognizes two things. The responsibility of our free will for our salvation and the mercy of God in which he believes entirely. They are a dialectic that ultimately we are not able in this life to fully fathom. No Catholic, no anyone can make you believe anything. But if we believe and we think it is the ultimate truth, then we must present it as best we can. And if I've come to anything, there are many ways to evangelize. So let's all get out there and preach the good news. Well, another podcast is in the books this weekend of Thanksgiving 2021. I hope you're enjoying the program, and if you are, keep listening and tell your friends about it. And you can listen to it on pretty much all the platforms. I'm on Podbean, but you can hear me on TuneIn, Amazon.com, Pandora, uh, Amazon, too. Did I say Amazon? I can't remember. But anyway, it's everywhere. And it's among many, many, many podcasts out there. So it helps encourage me if you're listening to it. So hear from me next week. God willing, and the creek don't rise. <laughs>